0: Jai Radha Madhava Kunja Vihade Jai Radha Madhava Kunja Vihade Ropi Janna Valabha Giri Vada Dari Janna Valabha Giri Yashora Nandana Gajjanan Ranjana Yashora Nandana Gajjanan Gajjanana Yamunati Na Vanachali Jai Radha Marhava Radha Kunja miha.
1: Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om mm-hmm. Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto <clears throat> 1, Chapter 9, The Passing Away of Bhishma Dev, Text 46. Tasya nirha rana dhini. Sampare tasya bhargava. Yudhishthira kara Muhurtum dukito bhavat. Tasya nir hara nā Sampare tasya bhargava. Yudhisthira kara hitva. Muhortam bhavāt. Tasya nir hara Sambari Tasya Bhargava, Yudhishti Rakarayidva, Muhurtam Dukito Bhavat. word for word translation Tasya his near Harana Adini funeral ceremony Samparates Tasya of the dead body Hargava, O descendant of Brigu, Yidhishthira Maharaj Yudhisthira, Karahitva, Having performed it Muhurtam for a moment Dhu kita, sorry Abhavat became Translation and Purport by his divine grace AC Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila O descendant of Brigu Shonaka after performing funeral rituals for the dead body of Vijmadeva Maharaj Yudhisthira was momentarily overtaken with grief Vijmadeva was not only a great family head of Maraj Yudhisthira but also he was a great philosopher and friend to him his brothers and his mother since Maraj Pandu, the father of the five brothers headed by Maharaj Yudhisthira, had died, Bhishma Dev was the most affectionate grandfather of the Pandavas and caretaker of the widow daughter-in-law Kunti Devi. Although Maraj Dritarashtra, the elder uncle of Maharaj Yudhisthira, was there to look after them, his affection was more on the side of his hundred sons headed by Duryodhan. Ultimately, a colossal clique was fabricated to deprive the five fatherless brothers of the rightful claim of the kingdom of Hastinapur. There was great intrigue, common in imperial palaces, and the five brothers were exiled to the wilderness. But dev was always a sincerely sympathetic well-wisher grandfather, friend, and philosopher to Maharaj Yudhisthira, even up to the last moment of his life. He died very happily by seeing Maharaj Yudhisthira to the throne. Otherwise, he would have long ago quitted his material body instead of suffering agony over the undue sufferings of the Pandavas. He was simply waiting for the opportune moment because he was sure and certain that that the sons of Pandu would come out victorious in the battlefield of Kurukshetra as, Lord, as his lordship, Sri Krishna, was their protector. As a devotee of the Lord, he knew that the Lord's devotee cannot be vanquished at any time. Mara was quite aware of all these good wishes of Dev, and therefore he must have been feeling the great separation. He was sorry for the separation of a great soul and not for the material body which Bhishma Dev relinquished. The funeral ceremony was a necessary duty, although Bhishma Dev was a liberated soul. Since Bhishma Dev was without issue, the eldest grandson, namely Maharaj was the rightful person to perform this ceremony. It was a great boon to Bhishma Dev that an equally great son of the family undertook the last rites of a great man. Om My Kyanate Mirandasya Kyananjana Shalakaya Jakshodun Miletam Yena Tasmai Shri Guru Ve Namaha I was born in the darkness of ignorance, and my spiritual master opened my eyes with torchlight of knowledge. Because of his unlimited compassion and sacrifice to awaken the sleeping souls in this material world, I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. O descendant of Birgu, after performing funeral rituals for the dead body of dev Maharaj Yudhisthira was momentarily overtaken with grief. So in the purport, Srila Prabhupada is explaining kind of a humanistic version of why Yudhisthira Maharaj uh, would have loved and respected his his grandfather, not only because of bodily designation, but also because of the uh, great soul that he was, and that this is a very normal course of events, when we are separated from uh, great personalities, from great devotees, uh, we feel that uh, that sense of separation, that human uh, feeling grief. Um, Maharaj Yudhisthira was momentarily overtaken with grief. The Sanskrit, dukito, duk, dukkha. Here it's translated as feeling sorry. Uh, but the dukkha, dukkha, just in general, means feeling bad. <clears throat> so Yudhisthira was momentarily overtaken with grief. We're reminded again of the uh, the plight of of Arjuna at the beginning of the of the battle when he was also momentarily overtaken with grief. Um, and then Krishna spoke the Bhagavad Gita, in order to remove the illusions or any misconceptions because what was needed in that moment was for Arjuna to simply do his duty for the pleasure of Krishna, for Krishna's higher purpose, higher plan, bigger picture, I could say. Um, And of course it's also a pastime that these great souls are apparently put into some kind of illusion or misconception so that we as conditioned souls can be instructed. So that's kind of the perspective that I'd like to take as we read about this and hear about uh, being overtaken with grief. We know these are liberated souls. These are all pure devotees in Krishna's Leela, but why do they do this to instruct us, to help us? So let's take that instruction and just look a little bit more into what did Krishna speak to Arjuna when he himself was overcome with grief, seeing that he had to fight with Bhishma Dev and all these great souls. So grief, uh, it, these... Um, this dukkha, sukha-dukkha, these are the dualities in the material world that we as devotees also experience in our conditional state. Um, so, Shitoshna sukha-dukkha-da in the chapter 2, text 14, uh, a very uh, essential instruction of uh, Lord Sri Krishna, that, O son of Kunti, the non permanent appearance of happiness and distress and their disappearance in due course are like the appearance and disappearance of winter and summer seasons. They arise from sense perception, a sign apart, and one must learn to tolerate them without being disturbed. So these dualities of the material world, sometimes things are good, sometimes things are bad. We learn how to tolerate them because we know that they will come and they will go. Sometimes things are high and sometimes things are low and that is the nature of this material world. So we tolerate. How does a, how does a liberated soul or how does a great soul tolerate Um, So one must uh, learn to tolerate them without being disturbed. So as a continuation, Krishna says, one who is not disturbed in mind, even amidst the threefold miseries or elated when there is happiness. And one who is free from attachment, fear, and anger is called a sage of steady mind. So when there's miseries, when there's reason to be grief stricken, we don't, um, we we don't, we're not disturbed. Um, and when even when there's happiness, Krishna gives us uh, a situation, then uh, we don't uh, run away with that as well, elated uh, or elated. So there's a sense of equanimity that a devotee feels because. It's simply observing the material field and its interactions. And these things are due to our destiny. They they come and they go. How does a devotee have that equanimity? That is because, uh, chapter 5, text 18... <clears throat> humble sage by virtue of true knowledge sees with equal vision. So the samadarshina, one who sees with equal vision. Of course in this context he's talking about seeing the soul in different bodies. But the principle there is that a pandita samadarshina, that there's equal vision. Pebbles, pebbles, stones, gold, um, this equal vision that uh, in the material field, these dualities exist. Some things are labeled good, some things are labeled bad. Um, but Samadarshina... Um, why Samadarshina? Because one who has seen the absolute truth knows that the material field is categorically different than transcendental nature. So that whether it's good or bad in the material world, it's still of that... that Uh, material um, field. The earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, false ego, these are all the elements of the material world. But yet beyond those, there is a transcendental nature. Ananda Vigraha. So because a devotee has seen both, he can the dualities of the material world, they just they're still on that material field. Transcendental is something completely categorically different. Therefore, any interaction in the material field is happiness or distress. There's a sense of equanimity because the devotee is sama darshina sees it all as material, whether it's good or bad. And in fact... Shrimad Bhagavatam in the Canto 2, Canto 2, Chapter 9, Verse 34. Krishna is explaining to Brahma Whatever appears to be of any value, if it is without relation to me, has no reality. Know it as my illusory energy, that reflection which appears to be in darkness. So, um, if it's without relation to me, it has no Of course, everything is Krishna's energy. Everything has relation to Krishna. But his separated energies are categorically different than his original Satchid, Ananda, Vigraha, um, internal potency. So um so then uh, the whole conversation between um Dev and Maharaj Yudhisthira was was there to in one sense initiate him or uh prepare him for his you know ascending to the throne and so so much question and answer and instruction was was given about how to act properly in his service as, uh, ruling the, the kingdom, how to do it properly, uh, religiously, devotionally. Um, so that was a lot of the conversation between Bhishma Dev and Maharaj Yudhisthira. So this is, um, in essence, the, um, the work or the business of a devotee in this material world. So, um, acting as a sense of of duty. So, in chapter 5, Krishna was also explaining this to Arjuna. One who performs his duty without attachment, surrendering the results unto the Supreme Lord, is unaffected by sinful action. As the lotus leaf is untouched by the water. So of course we know that Arjuna had given so many arguments, well, we shouldn't do this because it's not good. I'm gonna kill Bhishma Deva, we're gonna kill all of our gurus and elders, people that we should be taking the instruction from, which is a logical argument. It's valid in one sense. Uh, however, the higher principle is to actually do, you know, Krishna's Plan. So Krishna is explaining that you do. You have to work. You have to act according to your nature. It's unavoidable. If you try, you'll simply act according to your nature for something else besides me. So better to do your nature for me, Krishna says. So but then how do you do it? So one who performs his duty without attachment, surrendering the results unto the Supreme Lord. So in that sense, is um, unaffected like the lotus leaf that sits in the muddy water but is untouched by the water. So that analogy of the lotus flower, or the lotus leaf, is very beautiful in this verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 10, action in Krishna consciousness, because we all have to act. We can't remain inactive, and we will act according to our nature So how to do that in such a way that it becomes transcendental, that it becomes spiritualized. And that's a matter of consciousness, action in Krishna consciousness. So performing the duty without attachment. So, The very next verse explains that the yogis abandoning attachment they act with the body the mind the intelligence and even with the senses only for the purpose of purification so the so uh, even the yogis what to speak of the fruit of workers or the common people we we act with the senses the body mind intelligence the senses uh we have to act according to our nature uh, but not only do we uh, try to give up the attachment to the, the to the result of our activities but we are meditating on what is the purpo- the purpose of purification so that the purpose of this life is to purify ourselves and we do that by working according to our nature for krishna and according to his bigger plan uh, and this is what purifies one, what liberates one from the bondage of material existence. And ultimately, through that process of devotional service in Krishna consciousness, we uh, we will come back to our original constitutional position as a pure spiritual soul. So, um, Krishna, who speaks, it's in the 11th canto, of the Bhagavatam. Don't know if I have it. Actually, anybody have internet? Can you look up a verse? It's the eleventh canto, twentieth chapter, twenty seventh verse. My internet is down. This is a verse that kind of reassures the living entity that you can't avoid acting according to your nature, but um, uh, kind of along the lines of this verse that the yogis abandoning attachment act with body, mind, intelligence, and even with the senses only for the purpose of purification. There's a verse in the Bhagavatam that kind of um, encourages the conditioned soul. It's eleven twenty twenty-seven. This is a, a nice verse that just encourages uh, us to stay on the path. Yeah, can you read it, or or I can. Oh, yeah, there's a microphone. You can read it. Or do you want me to read it as you like? Yeah. Okay, here, I can read it in the microphone, maybe, for the benefit of others. Having awakened faith in the narrations of my glories, being disgusted with all material activities, knowing that all sense gratification leads to misery, but still being unable to renounce all sense enjoyment, My devotee should remain happy and worship me with great faith and conviction. Even though he is sometimes engaged in sense enjoyment, my devotee knows that all sense gratification leads to a miserable result, and he sincerely sincerely repents such activities. So the knowledge comes, the, the samadarshina will develop very deeply into an understanding of the dynamics of this material world. And here's one of them right there. Knowing that all sense gratification leads to misery. Antavanta kuntaya. kuntaya. Such pleasures have a beginning and an end and therefore the wise man does not delight in them. So any kind of material... Uh, anything material. It has a beginning and it has an end. And that's contradictory to our nature, our eternal nature, which is seeking ananda mayo which is seeking um, ananda, such ananda, eternal happiness. This is our constitutional need. So uh, through this developed... Pandita Samadarshina, as we practice Krishna consciousness, we get that realization more and more that material happiness, sense gratification leads to misery. But still being unable to renounce all sense enjoyment, why? This is according to what we what is called the Parabdhara karma, that you know, you come into this world with a certain um, quota or destiny according to your Past life, but the yogis act with all these facilities only for the purpose of purification. And as Krishna says, you know, you do your duty in the material world, and at the same time, you think of Me in My form of Krishna, Shyamsundar, the original personal form of the Lord. As you do what you do in the material world, and that is the process of purification. And that eventually, um, as we read in this verse, there's faith. There's great faith and conviction. My devotee should remain happy and worship me with great faith and conviction. What is that faith and conviction? Much like Dev had. He died very happily by seeing Maharaj to the throne. Otherwise, he would have long ago quitted his material body. He was simply waiting for the opportune moment because he was sure and certain that the sons of Pandu would come out victorious because Sri Krishna was their protector. It's just a matter of time. So a devotee knows that even though uh dukkha, material life goes on, it's just a matter of time before Krishna will manifest his mercy. And I'll, you know, go home back to Godhead. But this, uh, my devotee should remain happy and worship me with great faith and conviction. We have faith in this process of Krishna consciousness. Don't think don't think this chanting and dancing won't work. It will. This simple process will bring us all the way to perfection. So, um, so the devotees they they act in the material field for the purpose of purification with great faith and conviction that by doing this simple practice of devotional service we will attain all perfection eventually. Some. Take longer than others, but it will work. So, thank you. Are there any comments, or questions, or contributions?
2: I was visiting with my family up in Colorado, and uh, we went out with some other devotees to go bowling. And when we were at the bowling alley, it seemed like the only Christian consciousness was that we all happened to be devotees. Like we all we all chant Hare Krishna and believe in Krishna. But as a family activity we we were just go we were just at the bowling alley rolling the balls, trying to hit the pins. And then, um, like to, now it's the state fair. Or there's so many different things. Like devotees would, you know, it's a Saturday, it's a sunny Saturday or Sunday. So devotees will be going with their families and doing things like to be happy, you know. Like let's take the kids and go somewhere. So where does that life uh,
0: I guess what you call enjoying
2: family life or turn into pure devotional service how does it like we're you know do our activities and we try to be happy to be in, or try to make everybody else happy we go to work and we work for people and then we have families and they have demands and things they want to do so it seems like... What the Bhagavatam calls sense gratification is is just what people, or people do for, for fun or for, you know, on their time off. So how does it, as devotees, we we live a life a kind of like a life like everybody else, and then how does it turn into uh, giving up sense gratification and being mm-hmm. a pure devotee like Bhishma?
1: That's a very good point. I'm thinking about the story of Maharaj Priyavrata, uh, who, if I remember correctly, he had gone to the forest to do austerities and then he was induced by Lord Brahma to please come back and take up, take up a very royal position. It's your duty. I mean, we, Mars, you to We can't forget that these are royal personalities. We can't imagine the standard of sense gratification they lived in. We would faint, probably. That's why the instruction is there. To get the, how you say, the locus or the center. Because sense gratification and opulence is very distracting and bewildering. Happiness even, you can say. All these things that make us happy. They can be bewildering, they can be distracting. We have to keep the focus and the center that, yes, because of my destiny, I've been given a million dollars. Or whatever the opulence that, you know... Whatever the case may be, imagine. Check yourself. What if you had some inheritance all of a sudden for a few million dollars? Would you be elated? Would you? What would you do with that money? You know, so it, 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 though, that's the material field. The material field is giving us a quota of happiness and distress. Happiness and distress and that's playing out according to pre you know predetermined things. We don't have much control over that. What do we have control about? Our consciousness, our mind, how we how we how we respond in those situations and where we find Krishna. How do we just like we were reading this second this second uh, canto. If you do not see it in relationship to Krishna, then that is the illusory energy. So that's why all this instruction, do your duty, and at the same time think of me in my form of Krishna, Sundar. Offer the results of whatever comes to you, to me, and in this way the purification is there. Okay, well thank you for listening. Srimad Bhagavatam Ki jaya.